0: Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Dave Kovar, and let's get right into this. I'm really excited about today's topic. I know I say that all the time, but that's because I actually am right. Uh, so the title is "What I've Learned When I'm pay- When I'm Paying Attention." Once again, it's "What I've Learned When I'm Paying Attention." What the heck does that mean? So I don't know about you, but you know their life is full of lessons, right? And sometimes we don't pay any attention to those lessons, so we don't learn from them. And uh, I, when I live my life on purpose, and I'm not saying I do it all the time, certainly, but when I'm kind of alert and aware and trying to. make Make the best of a situation and pay attention, man, there are lessons galore. And and uh, that's kind of what I want to focus on today is some of the things that have happened to me and what I've learned from them. So there's a couple of distinctions. One of the things that I try to do is uh, every day is to ask the evening questions. And evening questions is, what did I learn and how did I contribute? And let's just talk about the first one for a minute. That's really going to be the focus of today. And what did I learn? It, it, imagine at the end of every day, if you kind of went through your mind, you thought down, okay, what lessons were there to be learned today? And you kind of, first off, this is really good for helping your sleep because what it does, it helps you to be able to process the day, right? And then on a little side note, I always, uh, I have a notepad by my bed and if there's something pressing on my mind uh, that I want to remember, you know, or that what I'll do is I'll write it out on a notepad by the side of my bed. And what happens then, it allows me to kind of take it, set it aside and it really helps with the sleep. So just from a standpoint of processing the day, it's a very valuable goal, a uh, drill, but uh, realistically, chances are you're going to stumble across... Some lesson that you don't have to learn again. Like how many times uh, have you learned the same lesson, right? Until you figure out, ah, oh, it's probably not a good idea. You know, how many times have you put your hand on the hot stove uh, uh, and, and realize before you, you, uh, uh, you're, if you do that, you're going to get burned. Probably not too many because the the pain. Is greater. You you learn from you know that pain a lot faster. However, there's on a lesser note that kind of thing probably is available to us all day when we're living on purpose. And so the next thing is is not only you know what did I learn, but how could I interpret. What happened today in a way that, that is going to benefit me going forward so that, in other words, you can kind of choose the perception with which uh, you want to have. And let me explain what I mean by that. So my son, Alex, who's now 24, when he was about eight years old, uh, so him and I, he was really into crocodile hunter. And, uh, uh, and he was really into reptiles and snakes and lizards and all the things that go along with that. And we were uh, uh, riding our bikes and he was ahead of me. And we're going down to the American River, which is about a half mile from our, our house, a place we called the secret beach. And, uh, and it, by the way, it wasn't a big secret, but there was almost nobody there when we went there. And you had to you know, put your bike, you know, we hit our bike in these trees and then we'd go down this trail and then we'd around this corner. And next thing you know, we'd end up on this really cool little beach area, right, uh, right on the river. And so it was our secret beach. Well, one day, it's in the middle of the summer, and uh, you know we hop off our bikes, and he's about 15, 20 feet ahead of me. And I right as he gets off his bike, before I can say anything, I notice a rattlesnake all coiled up. And it's literally, I don't know, two or three feet from him. And before I can say anything, he turns around and sees it right as the rattlesnake jumps at him. And literally, I don't know how close it was. You know, it, In my head, it was like a half inch, but the reality was it's was probably six inches away. But he jumps back, and he looked at me, and in that split second, fortunately, instead of freaking out, I looked at him after he, after, he, after he looked, he was like, oh, dad, how do, how do we, you know, he's trying to figure out how to process that. Well, uh, you know, and I looked at him and I gave him this big smile. I go, dude, that was so cool. Man, that was close. You almost, you managed to jump out of the way. You really are, you know, like the crocodile hunter. And, and he went from, maybe if I would have handled it differently, he might've started, you know, who knows, being really concerned about that. And uh, he, he, the lesson, how he interpreted that could have, been I'm never going outside again or I'm never riding my bike again because I'm worried about snakes right of course that wouldn't be very powerful right so fast forward you know 15 18 years literally about two or three weeks ago he was working he does environmental restoration and he was on this big project somewhere in the bay area and they were uh refitting this uh uh this this golf course that it was now defunct back to make it look like nature, right? Again, that's what his company does. And 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 so anyway, in the process, him and his partner are are opening up some uh some uh, uh what pipe and pulling something out and what do you know is it without paying attention, his partner, guys working with, pulls it out, you know, puts his hand in and gets bit by a rattler. Now I don't know about you, but I actually don't know anybody that's ever been bit by a rattler, right? You hear about it, and especially I live in California and I see rattlesnakes all the time when I'm down down by the river and but however i've never known anybody to get Bit by rattlesnake. Well, what do you know? So you know he has a massive to do. Of course that this happened a while back, and he's he, he was in the hospital for a few days. And and because it happens so rarely that the people didn't know how to process it very well. So anyway, long story short, the guy's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. But so Alex came back, and he, here's kind of the follow up lesson. Now he can choose to interpret it like I am never ever going to do anything physical again because you, you, I've had two close encounters with the rattlesnakes. Or man, I need to really be alert and aware. And if of course that's that's wisdom that comes through experience and my guess is is between those two experiences you know he is not a uh, he's got a healthy fear of snakes which is smart by the way but not so fearful that he's not going to take action right so anyway uh, that that would be a classic way that we all learn from experience now but but when uh, sometimes it's it's hard to interpret an experience and and one of the things that i think uh, uh you could do is uh, if you can on purpose when you're living on purpose you can filter an experience to serve you if you look at it through the right lens. And I want to say something before I go through some examples of this. But one of the things is I I think I know some people in my life that are live in black and white, meaning this is good, that's bad. Uh, Everything is really clear. That's a yes, that's a no. And they don't have, they're not searching for answers, right? They've got everything figured out. And, 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 uh, I mean that a bit sarcastically because most part of the time when people think they've got it figured out, they really don't have it figured out. That means that they're not growing, right? And I think it's important to understand if you are ever confused, confusion is an important state of learning. It means um, your mind is open and receptive to input. Being confused is a good thing, right? That means you're searching for your answers. You're expanding. And, and that so much of life is not black and white. It's in shades of gray, right? And, and so with that, that, what that allows us to do is be able to kind of, when things happen, and, you know, choose how you want to interpret those, because if you do that, that really can help you know, shape your mindsets. Which, of course, we've talked about uh, in, in prior podcasts. So, I want to I want to share with you a half dozen stories and some of the lessons that I've learned from these. And then I would challenge you at the end just to kind of you know go back through your mind and think of your life stories and what lessons have you learned. And then to decide going forward on purpose that you are going to try to interpret things as they happen in a way with which you learn lessons that you can benefit from. So, the first one. 1 I want to talk about, and and the lesson here is really the importance of being empathetic and putting yourself in in someone else's shoes. Uh, I'll never forget this. This was this happened probably twenty years ago, and uh, it was uh, I I believe it was Christmas Eve. And I'm that guy. Some of you people maybe are really good at shopping and you do it way in advance. I'm that last minute guy. And by the way, fortunately, my lovely wife loves to. uh, She loves to you know to to shop and do things for people, and and so in our family usually often times when it comes to uh, Christmas, the only person I really have to get something for is my wife, right? Uh, I can do it for other people, but but usually she just takes such pleasure in it uh, that I kind of, you know, let her take the lead in that department. Well, anyway, so clearly it's, I realized that I haven't gotten much from my wife. So I go to this really, really classy store to get some last minute gift. This classy store was a Rite Aid. Right. I'm being a little facetious here, of course. And anyway, so it's, I'm in a rush and everybody else is too. And, and all of a sudden I get in this line and there's only one person working the counter and that line must've been 15 people long and I'm in a hurry and everybody else is. And so I'm standing there in line and you can almost sense this, this ooze, this negative ooze of uh, uh, aura of negativity, I should call it going towards this 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 person that's that's checking everybody out the cashier right and you can just feel it right that there, everybody's going you know what's going on here and i know at one point she's doing her best right but i'm 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 irritated as well and so i managed to be able to she looks up for a second to look at the line i managed to be able to lock eyes with her for a second so that i can let her know my disgust and having to wait how important i am and have a, how how i shouldn't have to wait in this line and in that split second man it just hit me Bow. I just felt this gal that was doing her best just to get through the day, and all of a sudden it occurred to me, here's this gal, she's not probably getting paid a fortune, high-stress job, no appreciation, uh, you know, on a holiday, you know, sacrificing her holiday, you know, to take care of last-minute shoppers like myself that forgot to do the real, the good job earlier on, she's doing the best she can, and she's getting grief for it, and I, I quickly decided, I don't want to be a part of this, I don't want to be a part of this, so I changed my focus, and as I got up to it, when it was my turn in line, she kind of looked up at me like, okay. Are you going to say something else? You know, like the look you meant. And instead, I, I jokingly said, you know, I want to let you know I, 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 I'm holding you responsible for all the traffic out there as well. And I said it in a way that she knew I was joking. And she snickered a little bit. And I go, no, I, I just want to apologize for all of us in line. You're doing a great job. Uh, you know, keep it up. It's, it's not an easy job that what you're doing right now. You're doing awesome. And she, uh, and she kind of smiled. And I was walking out the door. I couldn't help. But there's a couple behind me kind of look back. And she looked over at me and she mouthed a oh, thank you. To me, Right. And I don't know, man, I got to think that now I don't always do this, but in this particular moment that I gave her back her joy for at least a little while, I'd like to think I did that. Right. But it was a reminder of, about me is that it, it's not about me. It's not about me. You know, everybody's running their journey. And what can you do to contribute to a situation? Even if it's a little thing, even if it's just a, a, a smile or a kind gesture, can you be empathetic to the people that are on the other side of the, uh, of the register than you are, so to speak? So that's that for me, that was a, a powerful story. So, another one I want to talk about, and this was more about the importance of first impressions, and there's so many applications of, of this, okay. Uh, um, I remember one time uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, one of uh, a gentleman that was that, that, that I was my idol up until I met him. Now it wasn't that he's a bad guy afterwards, but I remember just initially the handshake that we had. I was so excited about meeting. Him, I put my hand out to shake his hand, and he's a relatively famous martial artist. Or was a long time ago, and he gave me this just really weak kind of dead fish handshake, and didn't even look me in the eye. And I gave him a compliment, and he kind of like you know whatever you, you know what I mean, and like no did not. Not give me the time of day, and it was it was a reminder of you know in an instant. Here's a guy that I'd idolized for a long time. That you know, it's like I I I, I, I was a whole different. I look at him completely different because of that one thing. Another example of first impressions and why it's so important, man, that we do our best job. And sometimes we're in control of it, and sometimes we're not. Uh, but the more we, you can you can uh, put your best foot forward. The more it's going to serve you. So. I've mentioned before, I live, uh, by this amazing, uh, uh, park and golf course. And, and, and there's this cool trail that I run frequently and, uh, a couple of years back, it's, um it's a, a, it's probably eight o'clock on a Sunday morning and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm running. I'm at the tail end of this and up ahead of me coming the opposite direction from me, I see this lady, she's, uh, she's quite fit, uh, 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 attractive lady that's also running the opposite direction. And, uh, uh, and so as she's running, of course, I'm like going, you know, along and we pass each other. Uh, and I, by this time, it's the end of my workout. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm breathing hard. And right directly as we pass each other, there is this big pile of horse manure right next to us. So I exhale. And right as I'm going past her, I take a deep breath in. And what do you know? Okay. I get this big, deep, fresh breath of horse manure. Now, why do I share that story? So I've seen that gal on the bike trail, excuse me, on the, on the running trail, I don't know, a dozen times since then at least. And every time I see her, guess what I think of? Horse poop. Now, by the way, guess what? She probably thinks of me every time she sees me, right? So, sometimes it can be something that's completely out of our control so the point on this is that man what can you do to make sure that you control your environment especially in a, in a business setting to where you give the very first impression possible so make sure that that metaphorically speaking there's no horse poop around when you're going to meet somebody for the first time right because that can really last a long ways uh, so next one that I, I want to share with you and, and this is a story this is really about not underestimating human potential and I I've learned this story so many times from so many different people but this one really just kind of jumps out in mind at me and this is especially targeted towards, towards teachers towards your students or parents towards your kids or coaches you get the idea is a lot of times we will take a look at someone and we'll very quickly assess them they can do it this guy can't right and just kind of have that belief but but how often you can be wrong when you do that so there there's a story that, uh, about how apparently this study's been done several ways several different uh, different uh, uh- in different ways by several different groups but basically study goes like this beginning the school year uh the the teacher is brought into the principal's office and said congratulations teacher uh, we we have done a bunch of tests last year and we have determined that you are the best teacher in the school don't ask us how we figured it out we just did some random tests and you're clearly the best teacher in the school and we are going to reward you by giving you the best students in the school and by the way their grades don't show it they show it they took some special tests and, uh, and so their grades might look normal. Okay. Their behavior might just seem normal. You might have some kids that don't behave that well, but these are the best kids in the school. And that's why we're rewarding you for them. And so let's see what happens this year. Of course, what happens? End of the school year, kids test off the charts. You know, they, they, they did great, you know. And then the principal comes in to thank the teacher and saying, no, well, I just want to tell you, what an amazing job you did with these kids! Their their grades were incredible, and the teacher, you know, she's proud, but she also doesn't want to assume too much, and she's wants to be as humble as possible. So she reminds the principal. She goes, "Well, uh, uh, you know, don't don't forget, uh, I I they were the best kids in in the school, you know, and uh, and the teacher goes, well, I meant to tell you something. That's really not the case." We just said that to see what would happen. And, and, and the teacher was pretty shocked. And, she, and then she thought to herself, she goes, okay, that might be true. But she goes, as, I don't want to really bring it up. But as you know, I am the best teacher in the school. And the principal says, you guys already know where I'm going with this. Well, that's another thing. You know, I just pulled your name randomly out of the hat. That's not true either, right? And so what's the moral of the story? What happened was, is this teacher had this strong belief in herself and the people around her. And because of that, she made something happen. And I've seen that as an instructor over and over and over again. I want to give you one clear example. I had this kid, his name was TJ. And TJ started with me when he was probably about five years old. And TJ was absolutely the most uncoordinated person I'd ever seen in my whole life. And a lot of times when kids are five years old, they're not yet coordinated yet, but this kid literally was so uncoordinated i mean uh like really bad and it wasn't that he didn't pay very good attention he was a very sweet kid very quiet but he just couldn't do anything right and i remember after the class um his dad came up and at the time my older brother tim was was my business partner had been talking to his dad in the stands afterwards and the dad came up and goes what do you think do you think tj will ever be a black belt and i remember thinking in my head you know TJ's dad, he's not even gonna get his friggin' yellow belt. This kid is hopeless. Now, I did, fortunately, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And instead I go, yeah, yeah, I lied. And I said, yeah, I, th- I think he'll get his black belt. He's gonna to take some work, but he can do it. And I remember after the dad, the dad shook my hand and said, oh, thank you. That's great. And they took off. And I remember that night I felt friggin' nauseous. I felt nauseous because I felt like I'd had i had, I'd sold out, right? And I go to my brother. I go, bro, I just did not feel good about what I said. There's no way that guy's going to get his black belt. And my brother Tim goes, hey, just give him the benefit of the doubt. Why don't you just make him a project and see what happens? Now, you guys already know where I'm going with this story too. What happens? Five years later, six years later, it was a little longer than normal. Guess who tests for his junior black belt? TJ and guess who was pretty good he was actually ended up being an outstanding a uh, uh, student and by the way he reached out to me years later when he was in his late 20s just to say hey I want to let you know how amazing my experience with what it was with you as a as a child and you know I'm in med school right now and so much of what I've learned I learned from you on the mat right and I got to think had I not believed in his potential, or at least faked it. Who knows how his life not be different? Okay, and it's a reminder, man, that 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 it's our job really is is to not not uh, underestimate someone's potential, even if we don't see it at the first first and foremost. So the next lesson is the the value of you can judge a person's character by the way they treat the people least important to them. And I want to share a Chuck Norris story. Now, this is one of my favorite stories, and chances are really good that if I probably have talked about this in one of our other ones. If you've listened to all our podcasts, maybe you heard this story before, but I think it's worth repeating. And uh, I've had the privilege of, of meeting Chuck Norris and hanging out with him about a half dozen times in my life. Sometimes it was just a, a brief handshake and conversation a couple times, and then I had a few meals with him. And uh, But one, the highlight of my Chuck Norris interaction was in, in the early 90s when he was promoting his movie Sidekick. And he was actually on, uh, my understanding, it was a 21-city tour that he was doing in 22 days to promote his movie we were day 22. So he'd already been to 20 other cities. This was his last stop. Now I have done my share of like, uh, like traveling and going from one school to another for a couple weeks on end and it wears on you. It's hard work. Right. And so I can only, I can only think that this was, you know, he was ready to be done with this experience. Right. Well, that afternoon before we were, so what did it, we ended up going to three movie theaters that night, but beforehand we, we talked to his, uh, his agent beforehand and asked, is there any chance Mr. Norris can come by the school and meet some of our students? And so he agreed to do so. Now, we didn't even have time to, to, to take uh, autographs or anything. It was just a matter of shaking some hands. So literally, Chuck Norris shows up at our school. We don't have a lot of time. There must have been, the line went out the door. There must have been 450, 500 people waiting to shake his hand. And so all it is literally people going down the line shaking Chuck Norris's hand. And at one point, my wife was person number 232 or something. And as they were shaking hands, she goes, hi, my name is Angelina. I'm I'm Dave Dave's wife and he goes about her business. So, so, so that gets done. We get in the, we, and by the way, we're doing security for for Mr. Norris. So my brother's running with four other black belts in, in a, in an SUV in front of us. And I get to ride in a limo with Chuck Norris. And so I slink in this limo and I'm sitting thinking to myself, man, I'm in a limousine right now with Chuck Norris. How cool is that? And he looks over at me and he goes, so Dave, can your wife Angelina join us? He remembered her name. Out of all those people, he remembered her name. I was blown away by that. And then I watched him for the next, uh, you know, how five hours shake hands and sign autographs and pictures. I don't know how many people, you know, hundreds and hundreds, however many you can do in five hours, right? Every one of them, a sincere connection, a sincere sense of appreciation for meeting that person. It was just really remarkable. And then to top it off, end of the evening— uh, we're at the, uh, 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 the movie theater. It's the, it's the Greenback. It's the synodome on Greenback. If you live in the Car- in the Sacramento area, you're familiar with it. And, and my, my team is putting away chairs and kind of cleaning up and doing whatever they're doing to kind of, to, a, a, to get ready. And I'm, I'm with Mr. Norris getting him into the, he gets in the limousine and he, he says, he shakes my hand, says goodbye. And he, and he starts to pull off. And then the brake lights go on. And I see the reverse lights go on and he drive and I thought he was gonna come back and say hi bye to me. And he drives right by me and the car backs up right to where my guys are working. And the window rolls down, and Mr. Norris puts out, you know, he looks out the window, and, and by name he says, There's another guy named Dave. Hey Dave, hey Mark, hey Ken. Hey Bob, thanks for helping out. I really appreciate it. That was fun, and drives off. And for that was it. He didn't have to do that right? But it, boy, I'll tell you what, does he have fans for life out of those guys? There's no doubt about it. You know, having, you know, treating people, you can judge a person's character by the way they treat the people least important to them. Treating everybody you come in contact with, you know, with respect and courtesy goes a long way. And how many times, you know, have, have I seen that come to pass? And how many times have I seen it backfire? Uh, now, I'd like to say it hasn't backfired on me too much because I try to be respectful of people, but, but there's been more than one time where I, I, I could have been, uh, uh, kinder, nicer to somebody. And, and in hindsight, maybe later on, it, it, it you know, I, it, it came back to bite me in some capacity. And along that lines, what I want to do is I want to share with you, uh, an example of this very thing. And, and this one was, uh, uh, why it's so important. I guess the lesson here is the importance of if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. So there was this gentleman that was one of my my classmates when I, in the seventies at the martial arts school at Bruce Jutnick school uh, uh, a, a million years ago. And I won't go, go into his name. We'll call him, we'll call him Fred just for fun. And anyway, so Fred was a good guy, man. You know, I, I was always uh, I, in my mind, at least a little more skilled than him. And I, you know, when we sparred, I would usually have my way with him and I ended up moving into a full-time professional martial arts uh, position and, and he, he was kind of continued to be a hobbyist and train a little bit here and there. Well, years pass. And uh, uh, I'm, I have a gentleman come in to do a, a Filipino weaponry seminar, this master instructor. And what do you know? Fred shows up. He's been training with this guy for a long time. And it was great to see him. I like Fred. And we shake hands and everything. And by the way, I've been doing Filipino weaponry my whole life. And I'm pretty proficient. And so I'm, I really want to learn from this master instructor. And so what do you know? Uh, Fred's there as his assistant. And Fred spends all his time helping me. And it's friggin' killing me because I really don't want my fragile male ego. I really don't want Fred. Fred helping me because I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm better than you, Fred. What are you doing helping me I, You know, it's like, I didn't want him, you know, I, I wasn't allowing him and he was just trying to be helpful. So anyway, we go about the seminar and by the way, Fred had some good points and some of the stuff that we're working on and the art was just different enough to where yeah, I, I needed to listen to him. And anyway, so uh, a week or two pass and I'm at another martial arts event and I kind of bring up the fact and I bring up by name. Yeah, how about this guy, Fred? He was trying, I've been doing Filipino weaponry a lot longer than him and he's trying to give me pointers. How the nerve of him, I say something like that. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I'd said. Well, what do you know? Two weeks later, guess who walks in school on a, on a Tuesday afternoon? Fred walks in the door, and I go, "Hey, Fred, what are you doing?" He goes, "Can I talk to you?" And he's got this startled look. I, he goes, do I, "Did I do something to offend you?" I go, "What do you mean, Fred?" And he goes, "You know, I was—he was in Idaho doing a seminar." And somebody had said, somehow the word got out that I'd talked bad about him. And I was only talking, it was just a few people, but, oh, I felt so bad. I apologized profusely and, and uh, you know, everything's good. We, But here's the deal. You can't help sometimes what you think. You, there's going to be a time in your life when you're, you, you want to say something about somebody. By the way, every now and then with the right circumstances, it might be okay to vent. But what I was doing, I was passing judgment and I was doing it from my standpoint of my ego and I was wrong. And, and in the future, by the way, there's plenty of times when I've thought th- things, right? They fl- and I try to reframe them, but, uh, you can't always control what you think, but you can control your actions. And, and I would, I would, the old phrase that we've all added, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Man, I can't tell you how valuable that, that bit of, um, advice is. And I would strongly encourage, uh, it's a great reminder for me. And I'd strongly encourage you to, to make it a point to do the same, to, to, to the same thing. So I've got one more story, and I'll, say, I'll share some other ones for, for future episodes, okay? And, and this is one that – and this is about really cultivating a belief that your best years are in front of you. And I've talked uh, – you know, I've talked about this topic a lot. I'm a very passionate about it. But I want to tell you about Terry Poxen. And I know for a fact, if you've listened to every podcast, you've heard about Terry Poxson. but I want to share with you, in case you haven't, there the, the story with her and her profound words one afternoon a long time ago. So Terry Poxin trained with me for 20 years, and she, about 10 years into her training, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and she continued to train for about another 10 years, and she, as her body deteriorated, and she was amazing. She was amazing. As her body, her physical skills became more limited, her mind opened up, she was the most positive person. And she also was like a model patient. She would actually mentor other people with, with multiple sclerosis because of her energy and, and her attitude and everything was so contagious that she really helped out a lot of the people dealing with the same thing. But any one time about five years into her diagnosis, she's having a harder time moving. And after a particular hard early morning workout, uh, she was done with class and she was like having kind of over in the corner, having a hard time, almost like a mild seizure, having a hard time moving, get up. And man, I felt so bad. I, I went up to her. And I I said something, uh, I said, Terry, is there anything you can do to make it better? And I'll never forget what she said. It's one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And and I, and I hear her say it in my head every day and is, I know I can make it better because I can make it worse. Let me say that again. I know I can make it better because I can make it worse. Now, what does that mean to you and I? Well, sometimes you wonder, I don't know if I can do anything to make my health better. Well, can you make it worse? The answer is yes. Well, you can't just have it one way. If you can make something worse, it's the it, then the, the yin-yang concept, you, you know, what goes up must come down. What, what goes down is going to come up, is that that means you can make it better. So if you're looking at your health, your business, your relationships, if there's anything you can do to make it worse, that means that you can make it better if you take the right actions. And I would challenge you um, to cultivate the belief that your best years are still in front of you if you take the right action. You can make your life better in any area, you know, that that you so desire. Uh, And sometimes it might be as simple as thinking about what you can make worse, what you can do to make it worse, and then starting by not doing those things. But a lot of times that will give you the direction as to what you can do to make it better. So I appreciate you tuning in. And uh, on the next podcast, we'll pick up where we left off. Uh, uh, But uh, in the meantime, uh, enjoy your life to its fullest and take care. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.